Well, we are in a series uh, called Life is Short. Life is Short. And we're, we're working through parts of the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. We're jumping around a little bit, but, but we've seen Solomon. Uh, he's written this book at the end of his life after a life that began with great wisdom and with great promise and uh, with him obeying and honoring and serving the Lord in, in great ways. And then his life moves into some turmoil where he turns his heart from God and chases after pleasure and uh, makes all kinds of foolish, stupid decisions. And he gets to the end of his life and he writes Ecclesiastes, I believe, looking back on his life and uh, almost as a warning to anyone who would come after him, especially those who are young, saying, don't make the mistakes I've made. Life is short. Fear God. Obey his commands. We've seen it. He commends joy to us. That this, this life is hard, right? So, so choose joy. He, he commends, we're going to see this morning, he commends thankfulness. Now, he doesn't necessarily, but it's really part of this idea of commending joy. You're not going to find the term be thankful in Ecclesiastes, but you certainly see the principle. And so that's where we're headed this morning, but let me pray, and we're going to be at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and then we're going to kind of use that as a springboard to launch across into different parts of Scripture today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for your goodness and your grace. Uh, thank you um, for all that you're up to in our lives, in our church, and uh, we pray that you might continue to, to, to work and to show your favor and your goodness. And Jesus, that your name might continue to be lifted up here, that more and more and more people who don't know you, who are far from you, would come to know the truth of who you are and of your grace and of your gospel. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you used me. I pray you would again today. I pray uh, against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts, speak to my heart even. And help us choose attitudes that are honoring and glorifying to you because life is short and um, we should enjoy it. Lord, we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and we're going to look at verses 13 and 14 today. But before we do, just kind of as we recap some of these things that Solomon has said, uh, really, the summary, again, of part of what he said, he says over and over that life under the sun, this life, in other words, is vanity. It's meaningless. I would commend to you today, and I don't, I don't, I don't think you're going to disagree with me in any way, that life is hard, and it's full of difficulty and frustration. Would you agree? Like, you're like, I, thanks, Josh. I didn't, that was such a keen insight that you have right there. That life is hard and full of difficulty and frustration, but it is. It's incredibly frustrating. And we certainly don't need anybody to tell us this or to remind us of this fact, but God's word is clear that that's the truth. You know, God's word even says this. In Psalm 90, verse 10, this is a, this is a passage of scripture that I think I've quoted at every funeral uh, that I've ever preached. So if I preach your funeral, this, this passage will probably come up. Psalm 90, verse 10, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone, and we fly away. You see what the psalmist is saying? He's like, God gives us 70 years as a general rule. Some even live to 80, but even the best of those years 
are still full of strife and trouble and difficulty and frustration. Is that true? Does God, God's word ring true in that? Absolutely it does. John Wayne, that great theologian, said life is hard. He did. It's even harder if you're stupid, is what he said. Now there's debate if he actually said it, but it's true, isn't it? Solomon commends to us wisdom, to live with wisdom because life is hard. And part of that wisdom that he commends to us is choosing joy, choosing to enjoy the time we're given, choosing to be thankful for the time that we have and the things that we have and the good God that we have, to be thankful See, the psalmist goes on in, in Psalm 90. He says his, his conclusion then to the Lord. He says, so teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. You know what wisdom is, right? Uh, wisdom is when I take the knowledge of the truth. Because we can sit here in our hearts and we go, go, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. Amen. Yeah, I agree. Okay. But wisdom is when I actually apply that knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied in my life. So teaching ourselves, to, or God teaching us to number our days, to recognize that uh, we get 70, maybe 80 years, maybe less, maybe a few more, but in that ballpark. And even the best of those are gonna be filled with trial and filled with heartache and filled with difficulty. So teach us to live a life that has a heart of wisdom, to obey your word, to, to learn from the second wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth, Solomon, next to Jesus. He's looking back on his life and he's saying, I commend joy to you, he said in chapter eight. He says, life is short, work hard, fear Jesus, obey God, obey his commands. That's the conclusion of the matter, he says in chapter 12. See, uh, Life is short, it's hard, it's full of difficulty and frustration. Have you noticed this too? Much of which I can never control. That's why it's so hard. That's why it's frustrating. That's why it's difficult. Because these difficulties, these frustrations, these hardships, these trials, most of the time I have about this much control over them. Nada, nothing, zip. Have you noticed that? Solomon has, and that's what he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter seven. He, he actually commends wisdom to us here in, in, in dealing with this fact that there's much of life I can't control. He says in verse 13 of chapter seven, accept the way God does things. Accept it. Be okay with it. Embrace it. For who can straighten what he has made crooked? Who can straighten what he has made crooked? You know, uh, a lot of times, um, you might think of the journey through life in terms of climbing a mountain. Have you ever tried to climb up a mountain? Now you would think, many of you, some of you, you're, you're pretty determined, you're pretty strong-willed, you know, you'd go, well, the best way to get to the summit of that mountain is to start at the base and go where? Straight up. That's where I'm going, baby. I'm just going straight up that mountain. But have you ever tried that? Any of you who've ever hiked know that that's pretty much impossible. Any of you who've ever uh, driven through a mountain pass, 
You know that's not the way it works. In fact, uh, you don't go just from the base straight up to the top. It's usually kind of this meandering road in this winding way all the way around to get up. And it's filled with some frustration. And sometimes you're going up and you're going around and then you have to double back and you backtrack. And you go back and uh, you're still kind of slowly going up and then you turn around and you go back this way and then you turn back again. And, but now all of a sudden, wait, I'm going downhill now? What's that? And you go back and, and it's just this big mess to get up and over the summit. It's filled with, that, that's a good metaphor for life. Life is filled with frustration and difficulty. There's times of prosperity and there's times of poverty. There's times of health. There's times of sickness. Solomon writes about all this in Ecclesiastes chapter three, right? Sometimes we want God to only give us a good, flat, clear path straight up to the summit without ever backtracking or failing or stumbling. And it's easy to sing God's praises when things are going like that. But what about most of life that's in the valley and it's winding and going back and forth and up and down and backtracking and doubling again? And what about those days? It's harder, isn't it? See, because it's out of our control. It's out of our control. It's exhausting. Solomon tells us to accept the way that God does things. The psalmist in Psalm 100 verse 3 writes this. He says, Know that the Lord, he is God. I have that highlighted in my Bible. And then I have a little note off to the side that says, and I, you, Josh, are not. He is God. I highlighted it. I even kind of emphasized it in your message notes this morning. It's a good reminder, isn't it? Solomon tells us, accept the way God does things. Well, the psalmist tells us, and this is a psalm of, of thanksgiving, by the way, a psalm to be sung during times of thankfulness. Know that the Lord, he is God. He is. You're not. I'm not. It's, it's he who made us. That's what he says. We are his. Isn't it true that sometimes like we put ourselves in the center? Not sometimes, a lot of times. We all do it. Would you agree? Who's the sometimes guy? I'm trying to make myself look better than I am. All the time we tend to put ourselves at the center, don't we? We're, we're prideful in that. But, but the psalmist reminds us, no, 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 no. He's God. We didn't make him. We didn't. He made us. We're his. He goes on, we're his people. The sheep of, of his pasture. We just get to run around and eat the grass. We belong to him. It's all his. Now, life is frustrating though, and it's difficult. And there's a lot of things I can't control. And especially there's certain things I can't control that make life even more frustrating. And it's during these times, I'm faced with the fact that there's uh, wickedness in the world, there's evil in the world with the fact that I'm not God, that I'm really not in control, and there's things that are painful and hurt and are awful. And then I, I hear, I go to church, or I open my Bible, I read that God is good. And I go, um, that doesn't line up necessarily with what I'm experiencing today or what I'm feeling or what I'm seeing because I'm frustrated, because there's certain things that have happened that are out of my control. 
It's difficulties that I'm facing. And you, you might think of it like this. I think this might be helpful. See, this is, if you're asking that question um, and you're frustrated with some things and you're frustrated with God, you're, you're wrestling with a problem that uh, mankind has rest with, wrestled with uh, ever since the fall. Of, of, if God is good, why is life so hard? The simple answer is sin. And if I could say that and we'd be right, right? You know, and you'd be like, wow, well, that's helpful, Josh. But still, life is hard. What do I do with that? Well, think of God's will in terms of him having two hands to his will. In one, one hand of his will, one part of his will, his sovereign directive will is his active will. And he's got this one hand that is active where uh, it's causal. He, um, he causes things to happen. You know, um, Isaiah, my counsel shall stand, chapter 46, verse 10, and I will accomplish my purpose, God says. There's sometimes, oftentimes, in his active will, he causes things to happen. Would you agree? That's a good thing to agree to. It's in the Bible. Would you agree? Yeah, okay, good. So there's his active hand, but there's also his permissive hand. Or sometimes his active hand is called his efficacious hand and his permissive hand, uh, depending on your background, might be called, you might have heard it referred to as his passive hand or his passive will, his active will and his permissive will. And under his permissive will, he's permitting or allowing certain things to happen. They're not necessarily things that uh, he would desire to happen in terms of his character and everything else, right? But he's allowed them to. He didn't cause them with his active hand, but he allowed them with his permissive hand, still in line with his entire sovereign will of what he's accomplishing in the end. Does that make sense? And if you want a good example of his permissive will, you need to look no farther than the book of Job. And curiously, uh, this goes way back because the book of Job is probably the first book of the Bible that was written. Now, it doesn't predate the events of Genesis. That obviously was first, right? But in terms of its writing, it was written before Genesis was written. And, and so this is an age-old issue. And in his permissive will, uh, Job, you, you know Job, right? We've talked about him a lot over the last, um, last few weeks in this series. And in, in Job, Job has all kinds of wealth, all kinds of good things happening, and um, then uh, there's, he doesn't realize that he's in this cosmic story that's happening of, this, uh, of God working out his will and, and working out his goodness. And he becomes a player in this story and in this narrative to where uh, Satan comes to the Lord and uh, actually God goes, speaks to him first. And then uh, he allows Satan uh, to attack Job. And Job loses uh, all of his wealth. He loses relationships. He loses his family. He loses everything. And God permits these things to happen. And in chapter 2, Job's wife, you know, sometimes we, we, uh, we, we give her a bad rap because she comes to him and she's like, how can you go on like this? You know what you need to do, Job? You need to curse God and die. Give it up. We think, man, she's grump. What's up with her? But think about it. If you had had all those, these are real people, friends. If you had had all those things happen to you, how would you have responded? And Job is incredible because 
even in spite of all these things that happen to him that he doesn't have an answer to, all part of God's, see, she saw it as God's active will. Like God just, he just threw this on you, Job, and he's a jerk. Curse him and die. Job understood, um, well, he's got an active will and a passive will. And he says in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, you, you, you talk foolishly. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job never sinned. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Now, you and I, we've had things happen. Uh, you know, I could give examples of um, things in, in my life with, with Hannah and I losing, uh, losing children when she's pregnant, uh, my dad dying of cancer a couple years ago, and you have stories just like mine. I could go through many of your stories and tell them here, and we'd be here all day. And, and at the end of the day, we'd go, well, why did God allow this to happen? I think it's his permissive will. And in Romans, Paul tells us that uh, God promises to work out all things in the end for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Did he say those things were good? No. Did he ever say that everything, Job, that happened to you, that was really good? You know, you lost all your kids. You lost, it was good, man. Just get over it, Job. It, it's good. No. But did he work it for good? Yeah. In ways that Job may not have ever known until he got to eternity. And even then may not have known, other than to know that God is good. See, I love Job. He says, you know, you, shall we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? This is what faith looks like in the face of pain. We don't see what God is doing, but we turn to him and we trust him until we see his goodness. And it eventually leads to our faith becoming sight. Uh, like Joseph is another guy, right? In Genesis 50, verse 20, at the end of his life, after being abandoned by his brothers, one of them wanted to murder him. Instead of murdering him, they just beat him up and sold him into slavery. And then all kinds of other crazy, horrible things happened to Joseph, who was, by all accounts, a pretty good guy, just maybe not wise with his words around his brothers. Um... And uh, ends up, incredible character, ends up in Egypt, and at the end, his brothers repent, and this is incredible faith of trusting God and his permissive will. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, friends, life is hard. It's full of difficulty and frustration, mostly because there's so much we can't control. But we need to trust that God is in control, in his sovereign will. Some things he acts, some things he allows, but all of it he works for your and I's good. Is that a word, your and I's? Even my poor grammar, he works it for good. Would you agree? See, Jesus said it like this, you know, because a lack of control, it can lead to a lot of anxiety in our lives. And he tells this parable to his disciples um, he says, uh, or just not a parable, just an observation. He, he says uh, to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you put on. You can't control everything. For life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. And of how much more value are you than the birds? 
And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single span of, single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Whereas the psalmist said, know that I am the Lord. Know that he is the Lord. He is God. You are not. Whereas Solomon said, accept the things that God does and the ways that he works. That's great wisdom. Now, it's really easy to say, right? And it's really easy to go, yeah, I agree with that. That's true. But when the rubber meets the road, that is a really hard thing to live out. So how do you live it out? Well, here's, here's where we have some choice. See, life is hard. It's full of difficulty and frustration uh, because there's so many things we can't control. But I do have agency. I have some agency. And you know where it's over? It's in choosing my attitude, in choosing my response to these things. I do have agency to choose my attitude. Like, I don't know, Josh. Life is kind of hard. Yeah, you have a a choice. You have agency to choose. See, Solomon says like this in verse 14, enjoy prosperity while you can. That's a choice, enjoy it. But when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in life. In large part, Ecclesiastes is a book reminding us that we have agency in our lives to make choices. Choices that that work out for the good and choices that work out to our detriment. Choices that work out for blessing, choices that work out for suffering. Um, And one of the big things you can choose, friends, is your attitude. One of the big things, I need a big mirror, right? One of the big things you can choose, Josh, is your attitude. You can choose it. People can't force you into a rotten attitude. You, you choose it. You do. Well, what's an attitude? Well, an attitude, I like this definition from James McDonald. It's a pattern of thinking developed over a long period of time. It's choosing how I think about something. And when I think about it and root on it and, 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 and just hem and haw and, and get angry about it or frustrated or bitter about it, and I, just, I just run it round and round and round in my head and this stinking thinking. And, and over a long period of time, I develop this attitude based on how I'm thinking. It's a pattern of thinking developed over a long period of time. It's a response to life. It's a choice. Do you know in the Old Testament, um, Moses leads the people out of the promised land, or, or towards the promised land, out of Egypt. And uh, their first pit stop is at Mount Sinai. What does God give them on Mount Sinai? Do you remember? Ten Commandments, a top ten list. Do this, don't do that. That's what, that's what God gives them, his top ten list. Like, Jason's was good, but God's is better. Right? So, so God gives them a top ten list. And you could summarize that and really all of the law with basically two choices that God gives his people. Now, he's never going to forsake them. He's always going to love them. He's always going to care for them. But he gives them two choices, two. And that you can summarize all of those commands with two choices. One, if you choose to sin, you're choosing to suffer. Let me say it again. You've heard me say that before, right? If you choose to sin, you're choosing to suffer. And that relates to your attitude as well as anything else. See, um, 
in terms of the old covenant, though, in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses, at the end of his life, says some of these things. He summarizes everything that God had said. He said, if you're not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, you, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, that the Lord will bring on you and your offspring after you extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting and sickness, grievous and lasting. He goes on in verse 63, and the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. Why? Because he wants your heart. And he wants you to quit sinning and turn back to him. So if you choose to sin, you're choosing to suffer. And this relates to your attitude. Did you know that? In the midst of life being hard and things that I can't control, I do have a choice in how I respond to it. And if I choose to respond to it in a sinful way, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to suffer. And chances are people around me are going to suffer. See, let's, let's take one attitude as an example. Complaining. Nobody in here complains ever, do you? No, so I get, I'll, I'll move on then. No, I'm just kidding. Complaining, right? We all complain. We're all critical. Do you know, uh, complaining, when, when uh, I express my dissatisfaction with a circumstance or a person or something that's not necessarily wrong, but about which I'm doing nothing to correct or nothing to engage with, do you know that that complaint is sin? That attitude of criticism is sin? It is. And it's, it's sometimes, you know, it gets passed off as, oh, they're, they're, they're always complaining. They're just grumpy. Just let them sit in the corner. They'll get over it. They'll be okay. No, no, no. Complaining is sin, friends. And we're all guilty of it. If you want an example, just go no further than Numbers chapter 11. The people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. This is when they're in the wilderness. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Can you imagine if when we're complaint-filled and critical, if God's fire just went, that was kind of weak, right? That still was weak. But just, you know what I mean? And just like, just, just totally consumed you. And his anger burned hot. With a complaining attitude, a critical attitude, it still does. See, choosing an attitude of complaint and criticism withers your ability to choose joy, like Solomon tells us. You're you're choosing to sin, and so you're choosing to suffer. Some of you, I say this in love because I love you. Some of you, your life is miserable because you choose it to be. Should I say it again? Your life is miserable And people around you are miserable because you choose it to be. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? But it's true. That constant complaint, that constant criticism, I can't believe he said that. I can't believe she did that. Well, I would have done it this way. I don't like that. I don't like peas for supper. I don't like carrots. I only want donuts. Wah, 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 wah. You're miserable because you are choosing it. No one did this to you. 
No one did it to you. You're doing it to yourself. And, and you're constantly just stoking this critical spirit and this spirit of bitterness maybe towards someone else. And you know who the reality, you know who it's hurting the most? You. If you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. But if you choose to obey, guess what you choose? You choose blessing. See, that's the pattern of scripture. And that's even, you know, I said that's the summary really of the old, old covenant and of the, the Old Testament law. Uh, Moses said in Deuteronomy 28, he also said, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of his commands that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth and these, all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. And the Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You shall only go up, not down, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God. And if you don't turn aside from any of the words I command you today, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods and serve them. But if you will only obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do his commands and his statutes I command you today, then all of these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. If you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. But if you choose to obey, you choose blessing. Do you know what the remedy is to a complaint-filled heart, a critical heart? It's a thankful heart. It's recognizing that he is the Lord and I am not. That yeah, life is hard, but he's given me a lot of good things. Yeah, it's cold today, but we have a roof over our heads. We've got some heat. We have coats, we have clothing. You know, it's not like 130 degrees where it's just different. At least when it's cold, you can be thankful. You can just put on more clothes and get warmer. You can sit a little closer together and be warmer. Sing a little louder, be warmer. There's always something to be thankful for. And it's your choice. Solomon doesn't ignore the fact that life is hard. He doesn't ignore the fact that life is unfair and sometimes just seems meaningless under the sun. He doesn't ignore the fact that there's so many things we can't control, but he also doesn't ignore the fact that we have agency and we can choose our attitude and our response. See, the Israelites, when they chose that complaint-filled attitude, you know where it landed them? 40 years in the wilderness until a whole generation of people died. And they spent their lifetime, because their lifestyle was one of complaining, they spent their lifetime wandering in the wilderness until they died. Now, was that God's fault or theirs? That was their fault. They chose it. If your life is in the wilderness, friends, heed the words of Solomon. Accept the way God works. Enjoy life while you can. Be thankful. I wonder, which will you choose? Which will you choose? Here's what we're going to do. In Hebrews, um, tells us to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, he says that's the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, that, that are thankful towards him, an attitude of praise, hearts and lips filled with praise. That, that's, that's the fruit of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing. I'm going to pray. We're going to come up. We're going to sing. And I would encourage you, if, if you're feeling grumpy, you're feeling uh, critical, you're feeling complaining, praise God. Turn your sights towards him and he will well up within you, my prayer, and I believe it because it's true, he'll well up within you a heart of thankfulness.
Yeah? Let me pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us. Thank you, uh, Lord, that you're God and we're not. Thank you that uh, we have agency, that we can choose our attitudes. We, we may not be able to choose every circumstance of life, but we can, we can choose our response to it. And so, uh, Lord, I, I pray that um, you would help us to do that, to be uh, men and women who choose right attitudes towards you, towards one another, that we, we wouldn't choose attitudes of complaint because when we do, we find ourselves miserable, but when we choose to be thankful and to praise you, you're honored and we receive joy and uh, this life under the sun is so much better. So, uh, Lord, the writer of Hebrews tells us that, the, uh, that those who praise you, uh, the fruit of their lips is thankfulness and praise. So help us to do that this morning. Maybe even change our hearts today toward an attitude of thanksgiving. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.